0: While we were in the park, we were in Psalm 32, and I thought that was such a good message. I just would repeat it again today. It saves me a lot of work. Um, just kidding. <laughs> Some of you are like, he would do that. No, I wouldn't do that. I don't reheat last week's meal. So, hey, thir- Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2, we were looking at, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Blessed there speaks of, oh how happy, it's in vain to you and I, oh how happy is he who knows God's forgiveness, who's, who knows they are forgiven. It's a different reality, it's a different element of, of your life experience in the sense of it's so important so different when you know that you've been forgiven it's it's not a a happiness because of circumstances you know we have those right you like things work out well or something you know financially works good or you know what i mean it's like oh i'm so happy for that that's that those are good things but this is much deeper this is a deep root that grows from the knowledge and experience of forgiveness of god's forgiveness something happens when you experience God's forgiveness. Love is implanted. See, when we're born again, born of the spirit, we are given the capacity and the ability to love beyond what we ever thought we could do. See, his love brings forgiveness and then knowing his forgiveness nourishes love. So it's implanted, the Bible tells you and me, that when we are born again, born of the Spirit, it's a result of God's grace brought to us, His patient love revealing our need, Him conveying to you and me individually, speaking about our, our sin, not the world's sin and not the sin of the nation or whatever, but our own sin. And what the Bible calls that the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And we're convicted and we're like, oh man. And we realize we're wrong before God. We are not right in his sight. We know that because we know ourselves and we know what we've done. The message of the gospel, gospel means good news, is that he forgives you because he pays a price you couldn't pay. So you are invited to put your trust in his work, his righteousness, his accomplishment, if you would. What was his accomplishment? He came as a man, took on this frame, the human frame, and even though he, was fa- he faced everything that we would face, he did not sin. Lives a sinless life, then lays down that life as an offering for sinners. Because the wages of sin, the, the price for sin is death. So because he had no death or no sin debt of his own, he, lay, he pays with his life your sin debt. So therefore, he, as he rises from the dead, he conquers death and hell. So our life comes through his victory, through his righteousness. So it's real simple. We agree with God concerning our sin. We believe that he is the only means by which we can be saved. Because he's the only one that's conquered death and hell. And then we say, God, teach me how to live this life. Well, what happens? Well, if you're really born again, you get an all-seeing eye right here in the front. <laughs> Just kidding. If you're really born again, nothing changes physically immediately. You, you don't, like, all of a sudden like, have a transformation of physical. It's internal. You're literally born again. God, in the person of the Holy Spirit, the Bible tells you and me that he takes up residence. He resides within us in the person of the Holy Spirit. And he brings something that we didn't have. He brings love. He brings an unconditional love, a love that we've never known. We may have seen to people that owned it, but we have personally never known it. And so that new love, that his presence bringing this love, you know, that love is nourished as we realize forgiveness. See, when you and I are born again, we have the opportunity to grow in love. The more you choose to know his love, the more you will grow in his love. And it's really fascinating because I really, I want to make that emphasis. You have, I have, we have the opportunity to grow in love. It doesn't mean you will grow in love. You have the opportunity to grow. You can have something placed before you, a wonderful meal. And say, hey, here's your lunch. Awesome. Thank you. You got to do something. Nom, 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 nom. You got to, you got to mow it down. You know what I'm saying? You got to actually do the next thing. You got to take hold of. It. You got to ingest it. There's an action, and and I think that's important to know that you can know love in the distance. You can even have love implanted within you and not grow closer to Jesus. I'm to share with you just a little bit um, my what I call my my life story, my life experience. Uh, sometimes the word could be used, testimony. But I just want to share briefly, and, how, and I think you'll see how it relates to this, because I grew up just a typical, you know, relatively poor type of environment. My dad was a hard worker, amazing man, but he worked in a gas station, and then he worked on the car wash, maintaining the equipment in the car wash. So it's really not upper end, you know, college degree, run a business type income. You know what I'm saying? Pretty poor. And so he did fantastic. I mean, we grew up with that. We were seven-day recreationalists, so to speak. We went camping a lot because it's cheap. Take all four of your kids up in the hills, tell them if you ain't bleeding, don't bother me, and tell them to go catch fish. It's just inexpensive. It's something he could do with his kids. We're outdoors all the time doing things. And as we're out there, you know, my life experience was... Love was an emotion, or maybe a, a ringtone um, a, a performance you know um, love was reciprocal. does that make sense? do you know you know that love I think as you're growing up if if your parents if you didn 't grow up in a in a god honoring home that put Christ first, your parents loved you or your siblings loved you as long as you did certain things. but if you broke the pattern, you didn 't reciprocate you know you, Guys, you get this one right. You've heard it called a sawzall, but it's actually a reciprocating saw. You know why? That's what it does. And so, when the love's extended, and then something's extended back, all the machine's working great. But guess what? That that's a different love. And, and so, I didn't I didn't grow up in a Christian home. Um, I didn't know this forgiving love. I, I wasn't aware of it. And. My background, um, we all have one thing in common. We all have a religion of reference, correct? It's what you're born into. You may be, you know, uh, whatever it may be. Like some have a religious, like a denomination association. Some have, you know, like I say, didn't ever went to church. That was just our thing. Well, our thing, my thing, so to speak, what I was born into was Mormonism. And so because that was my parents, my mom's religion of reference, which she grew up geographically because where she was living, that became ours. And so it was very performance based. It was very much oriented. And we were we weren't active. We were only going to church as it benefited us, in other words, for scout program that they had back then and certain other little things. It was just directly beneficial. Well, Kim and I have met, we get married. I bring that religion of reference. Not interested in church at all now because of some other factors, but still. Kim brings a different reference point. She brings Jehovah Witnesses. So she's growing up in this and I'm growing up in this and you know, ultimately we're going to defend both of those because we're going to defend family. And so we, we, we bring this together. Um, <laughs> interestingly enough, later when we get saved... And some people at the church we are at learn our background. They affectionately called us the cult couple because of our background. <laughs> but uh, um, so as we're kind of sorting this out and trying to bring it together. And I'm, I'm just wanting to live life as a guy. Typical just excitement, adrenaline, all these different things. Kim, she, she has this desire, this God-placed curiosity that you have and I have. About knowing her creator. And so she goes back to her religion of reference. She starts considering. And and starts meeting regularly. But there's a bigger void. The the more questions she has from the heart. the, The fewer answers she's receiving. And so by God's grace. He connects her with somebody. Who invites her to a solid Bible teaching church. And she goes to that church. And she's introduced to lives transformed. And those lives transformed tell her why their lives were transformed. It wasn't the gathering and the name on the building. It was the presence of the living God and the forgiveness God had given her. So she gets born again. She comes home and, you know, just kind of continues through life. And, you know, this new love that she has, I benefited from it. Because she's just more loving. So I'm, you know, I'm no fool. I'm going to take advantage of that. You know, I'm going to just make the best of it as long as I can, because I don't know the love she knows. And so literally, I just literally took advantage of it and just did my own thing. She was now more willing to spend more time with the kids. I was willing to spend more time fishing and racing and doing stuff. And so, but then I got deeply convicted because it didn't change. Her love didn't change. Her love should have said at one point, you know, listen, jerk of the month, you're moving out, or I am. Something's changing. I'm not putting up with your stupidity and selfishness. that never happened. It freaked me out a little bit, because it should have happened. I was that person. But she just, there was a different love. And so that expression of her life created a greater curiosity. So I went to where she was going, where this fix was coming from. And so I go to the church she was coming to, and in hearing the message in the gospel I then found myself responding to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, receiving his love and forgiveness. So now born again, I have this new life. Something deep within me has happened. I think I'm describing different details, but your experience too, for many. Something deep had happened. It's a new experience. It's a, it's a new understanding about God. I wasn't associating God to church. It was, there was something real about this whole experience. And I understood this. He forgives. And that was the thing that stuck with me. It was so different that I hadn't experienced with people. I, 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 I was connected with a lot of wonderful people. But it was all based on how your connection was and how well you stayed connected. And so if you partied with them, then you partied with them. But if you didn't smoke what they smoked, you didn't drink what they drink, then all of a sudden, you're not welcome in their party, in their club anymore. And it happened at work, it happened in other places. Like, well, now I'm experiencing this love that is not attached to performance. It's not requiring that I do things. So as I grew, and I started going to church with Cam, and we started really just, there's this appetite and this hunger. But as I grew... I observed others. Now, some of them were an encouragement. They were an example. I've seen love in action. I've seen, as I say to you often nowadays, uh, I've seen the love they had been given. They lived it out. It, It literally was emanating from them by their actions and engagement. But i also seen others that were a distraction. And this is what happened to me. I think many can understand this and even will share their own experiences. they think it through. I found myself comparing to others, duplicating or critiquing their actions. So if they were doing something that fit in my logic as good, I would subconsciously almost duplicate it. If I didn't like what it was, I would critique it. This is while gathering in the church. What I didn't realize, I was going from life in Christ to Life at the church. And I'd like to say that's the same, but we know that's not necessarily the true. Life at church doesn't mean you're growing in your life in Christ. And and almost as subconsciously assumed that that, no, if you go to church, you grow in Christ. That's not true. Because I found it in my own life that I was just starting to duplicate. I had the opportunity to grow in his love, but I wasn't growing. I was getting more accepted in the old Christian subculture in the church scene, but it was just emotion I was starting to go through. I was learning how to be a part of the church, but I was not choosing to know his love. And I seen that in my life and I realized that this was going to be a problem because it was one of the things I've always been afraid of is learning religion learning to be so good on the outside that you're, you're, you're dead on the inside. I was learning religion, and it was a detour away from knowing God. Religion, you see, it changes your habits. It changes your behaviors. Uh, it changes your disciplines. It even changes your vocabulary. But it does not change your heart. So that's why I think it's easy to duplicate. It's easy to kind of go along with that. But what we find ourselves is struggling. We find ourselves nothing really happening because there's a void there. There's a weakness there. There's a, there's a dryness there. My heart had been changed, replaced. I had this new life experience, and I needed to go back to knowing his love. To know his love. Now, how do you do that? What, is, what do it look like if? If you're going to know his love, maybe you're here today and you're like, okay, that's your story. It sounds like it happened a long time ago. It did. It's still going. But how, how, what did, how did it happen? I mean, what's, what's it look like on a, day, on a real life basis? Well, let's go to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. We'll bring it up on projection as well for you. It's an essential, liberating, and instructive passage For anyone who wants to grow in love. Which is to grow in Christ. You can't grow in Christ if you won't grow in love. Because the two are functionally synonymous. You can get upset with people and whatever. But if you can't learn to love the people that are different. In different situations and personalities and scenarios. You will not grow in Christ. No matter how much you... Establish a good church clientele and a church support team and, you know, the carnal Christians anonymous or whatever you want to call your group or, you know, whatever it may be. So it's like, look at Romans 12 verses 1 and 2. This is, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. That, that word means, uh, I strongly encourage you, brethren, by the mercies of God. You know, therefore speaks of, in a broad sense, chapters 1 through 11 of Romans, 11 chapters have been laid out, doctrine, lifestyle, and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in light of that, because of that, you know, this is the reality. By the mercies of God, his helping you, you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Some contemporary translations actually word it this way, that you present your bodies, that you, you know, that, let me back up here. Catch over here. That you present your bodies um, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable act of worship. That's interesting, isn't it? It's reasonable service. True, yes, but service is an expression of worship. Leading, or learning to let Him lead. So, because of what God has done, because of this love, that we present our bodies to Him, wholly and acceptable. Well, how do, you, how do you present your body? You know, you take a picture and email it to God, 777 Pearly Gates. How do, you, how do you do that? Well, it goes on in the next verse to tell you. This is what it looks like to present your bodies. First, you you'd start here. Not being conformed to this world. You know, you're not formed and shaped by the pressures of this life that you become a product of this world but you're not conformed by these things, by this world, but you're transformed, metamorphosis like caterpillar or butterfly, you're transformed in this process, or at least this starting point, by the renewing of your mind. By literally, we functionally and practically, we change the way we think. We start realizing, listen, I'm not the same person. If I believe the promises of God, if I embrace the truths of God, If I will accept what he has done for me, I'm not the same person I used to be. I'm born again. The Bible says that. I'm a new creation in Christ. Former powers, former things no longer have control over me. They can influence, but they don't have the control. So I'm I'm being transformed and I have to renew my mind. I can't let the enemy say, you're worthless, you're this, you did that, you did those. No, I need to renew my mind. Let it be refreshed by the very promises of God, the very word of God, that I could confirm or I could put to the test, I could prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Every person who's here right now or listening to this message, deep down there's a desire in your life, whether you're a Christian yet or not, to know God's will for your life. But now you're given a glimpse. To the Christian, you're given an insight. You know, don't be taken on the shape of this world, but be changed into this new creation that you are by the renewing of your mind, that you may grasp and take hold of the personal and specific, holy, acceptable, and perfect will of God for your life. So it's like, man, you look at this and go, wow, this is interesting. It, it's, this, is, this is what they call the transformed life. But let me present that question again. What does it look like? You know, it's one thing to sit here and maybe get some emotion stirred and some realization and truth revealed. But you're going to probably leave at some point, right? You're not staying the night? I'm guessing. You're going to go to a restaurant. You're going to go home and eat. you maybe take a nap. You're going to work probably Monday. You're going to live life. You're going to do life. What does this life look like outside of this air-conditioned room? Well, let's consider a few things. Let's go to a starting point of Psalm 1. Psalm chapter 1. Remember, we started before I shared my personal story and connected and correlated with Romans 12. We started with Psalm 32, blessed. And we're talking about the forgiveness and what God has done and how that changes who we are when we realize that. And Psalm 1, verse 1, we're going to see some very practical things that I believe reveal a person who wants to grow, who realizes I, I, there's something that should be expressed differently in my life. Let's begin with verse one, read through verse six, and then we'll come back and glean and take from that what we can for today. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. All right. Well, let's look there in verse one. Blessed, as I mentioned, it's oh how happy it speaks of happy or content is the person in Hebrew. It conveys that is that is straight or that is right with God. You know, there's a different experience when you know you're forgiven. When you know. God has done this work for you. When you understand the good news, the great news of of Jesus Christ, you still have issues to deal with, you're still going to grow as a young person, uh, born again, but you understand, man, this is so different. I hope you know that, that moment, and maybe some of you will reflect back in that experience when you knew you were forgiven by God, because you're content. You're realizing, you realize, oh, no, you have fear. You have wonder, like, oh, how do I live this? How do I do things at work now? How do I, how do I, what do I do? But it doesn't override that, like, a piece that really surpasses understanding. I want to say something here, and I, I think I convey it, convey it accurately, but I, I don't know how to do it delicately. But you already know that. So I've given up on trying delicately. And now I'm just going to try to hopefully convey the reason is out of love. Many grumpy, critical, my way men are not truly at peace with God. They say it's this situation. Well, it's that person. It's this situation. It's the government. At church one time, this happened. I'm not going back. Perhaps it's none of those things. Perhaps you're not at peace with God because you are not maturing and you know it. Now, don't let that be a gender bias. I pick on guys because they need it. But ladies, you too hear it. Perhaps our dissatisfaction and our unwillingness to participate or engage is because deep down we just are not where we know we want to be. We're not where we know we should be. And we realize, man... I'm just, ah. so rather than take a chance of being exposed, we stick with what we're already doing. It's kind of like, I'm not where I need to be, so I'm just going to see if I can get worse. (laughs) Right? Wouldn't that be true? I'm not where I need to be, I don't know how to go, but I'm going to go. I'm going to take the next step. You know, I think of it too logically sometimes but think for maintenance. Guys, think vehicles. Well, my vehicle's leaking oil. I don't have time to mess with it. Oh, you don't have time to change a gasket, but you have time to change a motor. Brilliant. See, it doesn't fix itself. It's the sense of like, okay, I, how do I do it? Now, what does it look like? See, first of all, I want you to understand, all of us, that we can't trust our own opinion and our own counsel. Let's consider what David Guzik said. David Guzik's a contemporary commentator. I've met him a few times. Really neat guy. The righteous man is also discerning enough to know the counsel of the ungodly can come from one's own self. Our own conscience, our own mind, our own heart can give us ungodly counsel. We can actually say God has told me to do it this way when God has not said to do it that way. But have you, ever, have you ever talked to yourself, so to speak? Don't lie in church. You all did. You, everybody does it. So we're like, and have really good ideas. I've had the most brilliant, the most phenomenally creative and innovative and liberating ideas I have are in here. And then I share them with Kim. And I didn't realize how dumb something could sound until you verbalized it. And she doesn't say anything. It just kind of like ping. And it comes back in my ears. And I have to say things like this. Well, okay, that sounded kind of stupid the way I said it. And she looks at me with these eyes. It's like, doesn't matter how you say it doesn't change it. You know, it's like, because our own counsel is the worst counsel if it's the only counsel we can, our emotions, our preferences, our desires, all of that has to be filtered. It has to be run through the sieve and pressured through the word of God. So then we realize it's not just what I want. It's not this. It gets filtered. Let's look at what the text is showing us. He doesn't, bless or content is the person who doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. They don't find themselves seeking a, a coworker or something that they, that they know they don't listen to the Lord. They don't love God. They don't have an interest in eternity. So don't seek counsel for them. You can vocationally grow and learn from them, but in internal truths, they're not the one you need to listen to. Barroom theology is really bad news theology because it's actually intoxicated not from uh, the inebriation of uh, substance, but the arrogance of ego. You know, most people are more intoxicated with themselves than they are in any substance when they get into this self counsel stuff. So I want you to realize, you know, there's a point where he's like, I, I, wanna, I don't want to walk in this counsel. I want to stand in the path. There's a bit of a progression walking, standing, and then we see sitting in the seat of the scornful. And the imagery, the picture is saying, listen, you're not going to be content. Taking the path of the, of this this world council, this this secular realm that you walk around in, as an eternal being, you're not gonna. It's not gonna work. You still go to work. You still do your job. You still honor God in whatever you do, in word or deed. You do heartily as unto the Lord. But it's to the Lord, so that we realize, you know what? I'm not gonna. This is not where I'm gonna find my identity. This is not my purpose. I'm going to go through what i got to go through. I'm not going to stand in their path. You know, that's taking you somewhere. I'm not going to sit with the seed of the scornful. The scornful, you know, that's the scoffer as well. I'm not going to take up with that. I'm not going to, you know, it's, it's really easy to find somebody who critiques and criticizes and scoffs and scorns, right? All you got to do is just get in a downer mood and they'll show up. Or you'll be the one that'll show up for someone else. Because it's just easy to just kind of like, oh, yeah, and then they did this and that. And that's I'm talking about in the church gatherings. I'm talking about in the Christian experience. And it's easy to be scornful. And, and we got to recognize that's the default mode for humanity. I don't, want to, I don't want to go there. I don't want to sit in that seat and somehow think that I know everything and now they should do this and that church should be like that and those people should say this and this personality should be more like that. That's scoffing. That's basically saying, God, you should have made us all the same, all the same age, all the same experience, eliminate any sense of individuality that you have expressed through your creativity, make us all the same, and then we'll all get along. No, we won't. Never. The last thing you need is two of me. The last thing I want is two of you. You have a hard time doing you. I have a hard time being me. No, no, not all the same. Understanding there's a diversity. There's a richness. There's a beauty in God's creation. And and I'm not going to just chill and think, oh, I'm not going to critique. It's it's just life. It's okay to be analytical. It's okay to be diagnostic. Understand, well, this kind of leads to this. But never make this assumption well, if that person wouldn't have done that, then this wouldn't have happened. Because you don't know what you don't know. You don't know. You don't know the emotion. You don't know the scar. You don't know the hurt. You don't know the life. You don't know what they grew up in. You don't know what you don't know. So there's some objective reality, but it's got to be covered and bathed in truth and mercy. So then we can say, okay, Ah, maybe I can somehow give them some input without being a boss. Maybe I can somehow come alongside and help carry their burden. We're told to to, to carry one another's burdens and so fulfill the love of Christ. There's ways that we can do that without being judgmental. Let's move along in the text. This person who's willing to not make his identity, his input, his uh, whole life, if you would, oriented around ungodly things. His delight is in the law of the Lord. Now, you're reading the Old Testament, and you may initially think, okay, is that the law, the commandments? No, the word there that we receive, it speaks of instruction. Law speaks of direction. It's like, you know, a law as a principle. But it's not just cold and sterile. It's, it's instruction. It's, it's, it's direction, this law, of the Lord. The Lord speaking of the Jehovah, the existing one, the eternal one. The truth God brings to us are eternal truths that are not contained, they're they're present, but they're not constricted, they're not capsulized to, to this planet, so to speak, the temporal realm. We're receiving eternal truths in a temporal zone. And so we delight in that. Hopefully you understand that gives you pleasure, longing. I long to know more of the truth of God. The more I teach, the dumber I feel. You know what I mean? Because you unearth these truths, and you're like, I didn't know that. And as you unearth it, you're like, why didn't I know that? And then you can get in this guilt trip thing, or you go, man, this is amazing. Uh, okay, and then you, you unearth, wow. And it, it's actually rewarding. It's refreshing. And there's a delight in it. And in this law, in this unearthing and uncovering and seeking and him showing you personally, we meditate day and night. That word's been hijacked by contemporary language to think relating to Eastern mysticism. Meditate is not, well, it's a biblical word. It speaks up to ponder, to chew on, to kind of work through, to consider uh, some of the words to describe it or to muse, to plan. It carries the reception and response uh, of basically an action. In other words, I want to know this and, and, and I want to know how to do this because it goes back to Romans 12 that we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. A part of the transformation process is to- taken hold of what is, we know to be delightful. It's like, even though it's corrective, even though it's painful, it's delightful because you know the purpose is, is accomplishing something much greater. You get it, I get it. You know, those of you who work out, I didn't include myself, but those of you who do like physically work out, you put pain on your body for a process because you've studied and been trained and been and you've taught strength development in whatever area you're on involves a discipline and a pain for you to arrive at your goal. For those of you that are more academic, you do homework and you do certain things for vocational certification or promotion, or even just initial education, it's hard. But you know, if I, this is necessary to get to where I need to be. And you can draw your own spiritual pal- parallel to that. But there's a delight even in that sweating, in that studying. And there's a delight in spiritual disciplines as well. When we take hold of this reality, it gives me, it opens my eyes to a greater glimpse of the glory of God a greater understanding of the goodness of God. Do you know our reward here in this life is the goodness of God? You know, it literally is. Just to see his goodness and to understand things from his perspective and to see things and to be used by him to accomplish things that will affect eternity. And just sharing you know, about the young couples that are just married and knowing that you, each one of you, many of you, were involved in their spiritual life You were involved in helping them stand on a sure foundation that they were removed from the grip of hell, taken out of this darkness and transferred and placed upon the sure foundation that this light of the world, Jesus Christ. And there's no greater joy than to know you're a part of that process. Even if you feel you're just a little snippet, a little piece, there's such a treasure, such a joy in that when you realize, man, this is, I delight in that. You're like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season. I don't have a lot of time, but let me just cut quickly. There's another plant that's mentioned in the Bible. Many of them, of course, but let me reference this one that that was in Jonah. Remember? It's a goiter or whatever thing they call it, but this thing just sprouts up overnight. Instant shade. Sweet deal. Man, snap your fingers. Instant gratification. Got my shade tree. Dead the next day, but hey, we're good today. This is not what he's talking about here. When it's speaking of tree, it's speaking of longevity. It's speaking of a process. It speaks of consistency, endurance, trials, all these things. And, you know, the trials we know for a tree strengthen the root system. No storm, no root strength. But the root also has to be able to draw nourishment and moisture. So it's planted. He's referencing one that's planted by a river. You know, there's a spot outside of town where there's a stream that comes through middle of the desert and there's a couple of green trees out there. Totally look out of place. Like, what in the world? It, you know, but when you get over there, you realize they're green in the midst of a desert. The leaves are not crumbly because in that season there's moisture because it's drawing, it's like just beside a stream, a source of water. You see the picture. Our lives you know, you'll go through storms, you'll go through seasons. You look at a tree in mid-January around here, a, a deciduous tree, not a conifer, but well, a leaf-bearing tree. And you see that tree, and it's just good as dead. If you've seen a picture of that tree in the spring and summer, and then you come across it in January, you're like, why don't they just burn that sucker? If you don't understand seasons. But if you understand seasons, I it's just growing underneath there's different things happening. And that there's a parallel that God is painting a picture for you and I in our lives consistency know the seasons. It brings forth its fruit in its season. Whose leaf shall not pr- shall not wither. With- leaves wither due to lack of nourishment or lack of moisture. We have the living water. The spirit of God is described as a torrent of living water. This 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 presence of of our necessary spiritual hydration. And we also have the Word of God, which is our nourishment. And so there's a beautiful picture, you know, as you see through this, and whatever He does shall prosper. So the person who's willing to recognize that eternal truths are greater than temporal treasures, that is willing to receive counsel, really to, to, to submit and receive from the Lord, personally, privately nourished, this person we see it says, he shall prosper. It doesn't say that. Did you catch it? Whatever he does shall prosper. That person won't, it's not a formula and a, a ticket to prosperity. Hey, if I do all these things right, God's got to cut loose some blessings. I need a beamer. I need a new car. I'd rather have a swimming pool this time of year. And I know he wants me to enjoy my life. And I know he loves me. So Jesus, in your name, I just claim it. Oh. Seriously, you know what this is saying? That whatever you do, it will prosper. And I'll use this reference because it's fresh and it's very vivid to us. The children's ministry prospers when somebody sweats and labors over a a message that they're going to share or how they're going to help. Or they took their Saturday and they come in and they vacuumed the carpet and they did certain things. That person has a gratification because of their relationship with Jesus Christ. They're they're built up. What prospers is what they put their hands to. That's what it's saying. Whatever he does shall prosper, and it really has his stamp, his his presence within it. And you see, I can talk about you know a worship team. You know, we have some amazing worship teams. Literally. They don't just show up on Sunday, you know, spend actually 45 minutes in prayer. Okay, God, just show me what a guitar is and just show me how to use it because I've never used one and I believe in you. Do you want to bless your people? You know what they do? If you know them, they love the Lord and we call it practice. But through the development of calluses, through the training of the vocal cords, through the sweat, we prosper we get to, you see what I'm saying? It's so amazing if we see that because we are not trained that way in our culture. Our culture teaches us, well, what's in it for me? Why should I serve there? Why should I do that? Why should I put these things first? I don't get anything out of it. You would never say it verbally that way, but I'm sharing it because I've thought that before. I have to fight against that reality. Instead, I say, you know what? I'm going to just face the facts. And the reality is, I just want to put my hands to things so that I'm honoring God and it'll prosper. I have so much satisfaction in seeing somebody, helping somebody grow in the word and grow in the Lord and, wa- and watching them grow, even though they're leaving geographically where I live. It's, it's the nature of our gathering. 23 years we've been gathering here. We've functionally started seven churches Because about every three years, 80% of the people in attendance are moving to the next location. I'm glad it's not all on the same day, because that would be difficult. But do you see the beauty and being able to be a part of what's happening? And they prosper, they move on, they grow, they get to go somewhere else and share what they've learned and, and grow in Christ. What an amazing thing that we can even be a part of those transformations. Now there's a contrast. The ungodly are not so. There is a contrast in this life. And those who reject Christ, those who decide, you know, I don't want that church stuff. Yeah, all right. the guy had some examples. Okay, whatever, he's kind of interesting. But that's not my deal. In this life, you have one decision to deal with. One reality that you have to resolve. Who is Jesus Christ? Because that's the, def- that's the difference between godly and ungodly. Literally. When you reject Christ, you're saying, I do not want God's grace. I do not want God's love. I'll deal with it in my time. I'll stand before God and present my case. You will not stand in the judgment, it says. I met a person one time who had a chip on his shoulder, and and I get it a little bit, but it still doesn't justify his statement. It's like, well, yeah, you're doing the church stuff now, whatever, but I got a few things to say to God. And so I have, a, I have a learned behavior when those things are made, said. i got a few things to say to God, and my behavior is this. Because I don't want to get, like, lightning burned. I have a sense that anybody would say something so indignant that it's like, you think you're going to somehow in this imaginary heavenly court stand before God and present your case and say, yeah, but this person did this to me, and that happened, and this happened. And you think somehow he's going to give you that arena? No, you're going to do a face plant, the Bible says. Bow down. Every knee will bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You don't get to do that at judgment. Oh, sorry, I was a sucker. No, you decide that before you die. There's no second chance. It's done now in this age, in this day. Who do you say Jesus is? That's what separates godly and ungodly. One who repents, one who humbles himself, says he's God, I don't get it. But I know I need forgiveness for my sins. I know that. I know that I, I don't know what to do. But I believe Jesus according to truth, according to history, according to fact. He is God and he rose from the dead conquering death and hell. And he's the only one that I would put my faith in. And the only one I can trust in. Because he's the only one that's done that. And from that's what separates the godly and the ungodly. When you're born again, you could then say, good, I can go back and do my other stuff again. No, you can't. You can't because of love. You can because of will. You can't because of love. Love changes what you do. Love says, I want it, or or will says, I'm going to go do it because I can make grace abound. I'll show people how kind God is if I sin all the more. But reality says... But that's just wrong. I know this forgiveness. I understand what he has done for me. And because of what he's done for me, I, am, I will not spit on that. I will not walk on that. I will not treat that as trash. No, I know this love. And that love affects, fa- shapes, changes what we do and where we go. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous and the way of the ungodly shall perish I skipped over where it says, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. I want you to think about something there. I do see that in a a judgment sense in the end times. But I also want you to consider it's probably even speaking to now because of the tense. There will not be sinners in the congregation. So if any of you have sinned, I need you to leave. Just kidding. (laughs) What does that mean? Well, here's what it means. When we start walking with the ungodly, when we put a higher value on, on the counsel of those around us who we know they don't love God, when we're okay with sin, you just don't want to go to church, correct? I mean, let's face it. When you stumble and you're not doing well, you don't go, you know, I'm really messing up and I really have sin using language. I just have not been honoring God. I think I should just go to church and hang out with people that do honor God. You get to that point, maybe, but usually it's like, you know, I just, I can't go to church. I'm not, I'm a mess. Or you do this, I'm not going to church, bunch of hypocrites. It's okay, one more won't hurt. No problem, join in. You know what I'm saying? It's like you can't find yourself going, because you, we know that to be true. Statistically and individually, we can look and go, when I'm slipping into sin, I don't want to go where grace is extended. I don't want to be around people that, that I don't understand because i got this own guilt trip going on. The sinners won't be in the congregation. Don't see it as absolute and categor- categorically definitive, but just practically. That's why I say, man, when I find myself there, when I say, you know, I don't know, I just don't want to go to church today. It's different now. Kim goes, well, you have to. You're the pastor. But But before I was teaching every weekend... If I'd have to work this through, and I realized through experience, and it was a slow process, the absolute, every single time that I didn't want to go to church because of whatever issue, sometimes it was just, you know, the things I've already con- con- referenced, that's when I realized that is the very day I will go. I might take the next week off if I feel good about it, but nonetheless, I will go on the day I'm deeply convicted not to go. Because consistently it was like God just spoke a specific word of encouragement and correction or I connected with somebody or there was was always a wonderful experience that changed my perspective. And I realized, man, on those times I don't wanna go, maybe that's when I need to actually be there to just not just get a special dose but really realize God is gracious and kind, loving and forgiving. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. The way of the ungodly shall perish. When it all shakes down, I don't want to be in the wrong spot. I don't want to have the wrong allegiance and the wrong alignment. I'm not worried about losing my salvation, but the Bible tells you and me that we will give an account before Jesus Christ. As a follower of Christ, you and I, we will each give an account for what we've done with what he's given us. And that's very personal and it's very real. And so I just don't want to find myself in the wrong place. Like I say, I'm not worried about losing the salvation. I'm just not signing up for a spanking, that's all. I just would rather find myself right where I need to be. Let's uh, have the worship team come back up. We're going to close with a song of worship. And I would like you to direct your attention, and we'll bring it up on projection, but to 2 Peter 3, verses 17 and 18. I often reference chapter verse 18 because it's such a beautiful exhortation and encouragement but today we'll also read through verses 17 and 18 I will then we will we will pray together and then the worship team will lead us in a song of worship to close out our time so would you stand with me please you therefore beloved since you know this beforehand Beware lest you fall, also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and forever. Amen. God, we just thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Lord, I know that there's times for each of us, Lord, that it just cuts too close. We think the pastor's reading our email or something and it just seems to be so heavy. But we know your correction is love. You bring redirection in our lives because we are going to bring more pain upon ourselves. And so, Lord, I just ask you to just teach each one of us a takeaway, a take home. That which we would not only hold on to as a truth, but we would open our heart to as you would teach us. For we see the hour, the day we're living in. We do not want to be led away, fall away from a steadfastness, a focus on you. But rather, God, may we draw close to you and grow in this undeserved kindness, this unmerited favor, this grace that you've extended. And our knowledge, a personal relationship, that understanding of you, Jesus, that we would know you're with us, that we would understand your ways, teach us how to to pray, Lord, to speak to you when we're in the car by ourselves, or we're on the job doing what we do or whatever it may be, Lord. May in the stillness of our heart we hear your instruction. We draw close to you, Jesus. To you be the glory, God, both now and forever. And everyone said, amen.